This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 180. If you're playing the Wall Street game, stop. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everybody, to our latest episode. I'm so glad to have you with me on Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Guys, I got a question. What is happening in the markets? Now, many people often say that the stock market is not the economy, and the economy is not the stock market. And I agree. I'd have to actually say that it's never been more true than right now. As of January and now February 2021, a total of 17 million people are out of work, but still looking. And many millions more people have just given up looking for work. And yet the stock market is reaching an all-time record high. But is the stock market just a primal game? Are we really just chess pieces on somebody else's board? I mean, if you look at it, what happened to fundamentals? where stock analysts would study a, maybe a company's balance sheet, the competitive advantage in the marketplace, and then they'd make a determination about the future prospects of a company's growth. That used to be the way many people would make decisions about where to invest and where to avoid, what to buy, what to sell. Now, some people wonder why the stock of a certain company is a specific price. So I wanna stop and pull over for a minute and try to explain this. You know, Why is it that such and such company's price in the market today is $22.13, for example. Who came up with that number? Well, it has to do with taking all of the future dividends that might be paid on a company from a company and then discounting those dividends coming into, you, into your pocket in the future, discounting those dollars, those dividends at a certain percentage rate, depending on how risky the company might be and how solid those future dividends might be. And what you end up with after that percentage deduction is a present value of all those future dividends that are yet to be paid. That's how we get to today's stock price for any company on Wall Street. But there, of course, are no guarantees of that future dividend. And people might change their mind about what those dividends might be in the future. Hence, the stock price will fluctuate with new information coming out, new market realities coming out every day. Little things like, you know, oh, pandemics or worldwide recessions or just plain stock market manipulation from online chat rooms can impact the price of a stock or even the entire stock market. And by the way, this is the exact opposite of what we aim to build for our clients. That volatility is the exact opposite of what we aim to build for you. So if you're wanting to build real wealth outside of Wall Street, where the outcome of your financial strategy is determined before you even start, let's chat. NotYourAverageFinancialPodcast.com is the place to go. NotYourAverageFinancialPodcast.com. And then just click request a meeting. I'd be honored to sit down and chat with you to see if we'd be a good partner in your financial future. Now, it's natural for companies to rise and fall in the stock market. Now, for companies to go high and others to be driven into the ground. There are signals and intelligence on both sides of every stock trade. Remember that every single person 
that believes such and such company will have an increased price, see the stock go up in value, are going to want to buy that stock. In order for them to buy that stock, however, somebody else across the world somewhere has to sell that same stock, thinking the future of that same stock will be going down. So it's that intelligence between the two, the buyer and the seller, that makes for an, an efficient market. You multiply that intelligence over tens of millions of trades, and you get the efficient market that we all see. Now, in the simplest world, it would be an orderly exchange between rational buyers and sellers. But however, and this is the key point for the episode today, we are not all playing the same game. We're not all playing the same game on Wall Street. And hence, there's going to be people and institutions that find cracks in the system, ways to exploit the market and take what's considered maybe an unfair advantage. Now, if you can find the right tool or expose the right weakness in the market, you can make tens or even hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars. And it might not have anything to do with picking the right company or doing any kind of fundamental stock analysis. Again, Wall Street is a world where we're all playing very different games. Now, speaking of games, take, for example, GameStop. That's right. GameStop's stock price has been down in the single digits for many quarters and years now, and revenue and earnings have been dropping sharply. Maybe it was a combination of their choice to remain as a retail store in the midst of the pandemic, coupled with their insistence on selling physical video game products in a world where video games are moving more and more online. Just stream your video games. So whatever the reason for GameStop's going down in stock price, many professional investors and hedge funds began rightly betting against GameStop's success. Now, that's that betting against a company is sometimes called shorting a stock. Now, while the majority of the stock market is built around the assumption of picking and choosing the winners, you know, choosing a stock you think is going to go up in price, other people will short a stock, and that's more about choosing and gaining from picking the right losers. When an investor goes long on a stock, she's buying it with the belief that it's going to increase in value over time. That's just your typical buying and holding. That's going long on a certain stock. Going short, on the other hand, is what some investors do when they believe the stock is about to decrease and they think they can take advantage of that. In short selling a stock, the investor of the short sold stock doesn't actually own that stock. Essentially, in shorting a stock, you borrow at a small price from their lender or broker, and then you'll sell it back if the price goes down. And that's where you make your profit. However, you can lose money if you're wrong and that stock price goes up. In fact, you can lose more than 100% of your money if it goes up enough, because technically the price could go up to infinity, whereas stocks can only go down to zero. Now, hedge funds had large short positions in the company GameStop, meaning they were all expecting the stock would continue to drop in price and they were planning to make some money off that trade. And as the stock has been pumped up lately, a lot of these hedge funds have been absolutely bloodied as the shares skyrocketed. But the key question is, why? Why did GameStop suddenly see this dramatic rise in stock price? Were they suddenly the most 
like revealing this brand new profit model? Are they suddenly closing all their expensive mall shops and going completely online, taking on Amazon or any of the other companies? No, it was Wall Street Bets, a Reddit forum that had been instrumental in driving the retail investor interest in the share, buying the shares of GameStop. Shares of GameStop pushed by Reddit uh, had soared with GameStop stock surging over 1,640% in just two weeks, largely due to online trading sites uh, like Robinhood. Now, some no doubt saw this as a massive shorting by hedge funds as an opportunity to punish the rich. So by short squeezing, in other words, uh, pushing up the price and squeezing out those who had shorted the price of stocks, this was their chance to get back at uh, the rich and greedy hedge fund managers. Other people, of course, just saw the rise in GameStop as a chance to get rich quick. Now, as of this recording, GameStop had gone from $4 a share last year to $345 in late January, crushing many hedge funds, and then just falling like a rock back down to $63 a share again in early February, crushing many of the members of the crowd, the horde, who rushed in to make a quick buck or stick it to the rich. This means both the hedge funds and the Reddit investors were both losers in this scenario. Now, many investors may have jumped in late, and of course, they would have bought high and then again, unfortunately, sold low and lost countless millions of dollars in the process. Now, this is a completely legal way to participate in the Wall Street game. But is it sane? And do I recommend you play this game with your money, especially the money you cannot afford to lose? Of course I don't. We say in every episode that we want you to be curious, be stable, and be sane. And there's not a lot sane about what I'm seeing in the market right now. It's too often the case that when we hear people jump on the train like GameStop, where they're piling on when it's already too late. But short squeezing is not the only game out there manipulating the markets. Let's look at another game beyond GameStop that's being played on Wall Street. Now we should enter David Shaw. What, what did David do that made him such a game master, a master of the game? He was one of the pioneers of high-speed trading on Wall Street. High-speed trading. Now, high-speed trading is, is a focused strategy using speed and has built really an entire industry and a lot of um, engineering built around this, this strategy on Wall Street, and it's built around the speed of light. Now, David Shaw and his team exploited a glitch in the market, a wedge, you might say, a strategy using geography or co-location, as it's sometimes called. Let me explain this in a simple way. Let's say you live in middle America, Rolla, Missouri, let's say, and you want to buy such and such stock. And you place your bid for that stock on your internet brokerage platform. And your bid for that stock begins its process through the tubes of the internet, heading straight toward the market exchange in New York City. The trouble is a New York City high-frequency trading firm located just across the street from the exchange you're sending your bid to has lightning-fast internet connections. They're able to see your bid coming from Rolla, Missouri to buy that such and such stock. And they go ahead and they buy that stock you hope to buy at your bid price. And then they sell it back to you for a few pennies more than you expected. 
Now you don't notice or care if your price was two cents higher per share than you maybe bid. All you know is that you own the slightly more expensive stock. What you don't realize is that somebody used geography to beat you to the punch. They sold you a slightly more expensive stock in the process. It's almost like they could see the future only a nanosecond before it actually happened. Even if they just made a fraction of a penny, if they do that millions of times, that's a lot of cash. That's a lot of cash. Now, people play with money for a living are just doing simple calculations, and they figured out how to increase their rate of return on investment. Now, how can we make that return on an investment go up? That's generally the question most uh, traders are looking to accomplish. How can we increase our rate of return? There's two ways to do it. One way is to get more money back for the money you invested. But another way is to get the money back faster. Give up access to money for less time. Both ways give you a higher rate of return. You know, for example, I'd rather a 5% return in one month than a 20% return over the course of the entire year. The math works out better that way. Annualized, I'd get a better return on a 5% monthly than a 20% annual return. So those who are doing buy and hold, that's another game on Wall Street. The buy and hold investor, just simply buying and holding, they're getting crushed in the process. But the day trader becomes the minute trader. And the minute trader becomes the nanosecond high frequency trader. You see, most of these high frequency traders, most of these hedge fund managers, most of these Reddit short squeezers are really not looking at the fundamentals of the businesses that they're investing in. They're looking purely for glitches in the code, chinks in the armor of Wall Street. And they're looking for ways that they can wedge in and take advantage of that chink. They're looking for micro trades and in their words, making the market more efficient. That's part of the process. And I agree, I think shorting is part of the efficient market. But my question is, more efficient at what? More efficient for whom? As you look at the massive warehouses of servers positioned just feet away from the stock exchange, eking out proximal trades at the speed of light, or a bunch of people on Reddit saying, you know what, let's stick it to the man and let's squeeze out all these hedge funds. Ask yourself, are you playing the same game that they're playing? Imagine you've got yourself on a large, open, grassy sports field. You step onto the field. You're ready to play. You hope to win. You know the game you're ready to play. Maybe it's, let's say, for example, you're ready to play some soccer. So you've come prepared. You've got your cleats, your shorts, a breezy t-shirt, and you're carrying your favorite soccer ball. However, in the midst of this large field, let's say there were hundreds of thousands of other people all out on the field too, all dressed to win. Everyone's intending to win the game. The question is, are you all playing the same game? So you look out and you see some people kicking and catching a soccer ball across the field. But over on the other side, you see some other people with huge sticks and hockey pucks. And yet some people are also suited up in football armor, ramming into a group of people trying to play badminton. And still other people are out on the field, same field, and they're throwing javelins. And other people are sitting on the ground playing chess. Now, this is a cacophony of sports mayhem. And you better believe it, people are going to get hurt. Now, while we're all on the same field, the field of Wall Street, 
I contend that we're all playing different games and people are getting seriously hurt. Most people, most mom and pop investors with their 401ks and IRAs, their brokerage accounts, buying stocks and bonds and ETFs and more, are playing the buy and hold game. But other people are on the same field doing day trading. And other people are simply buying those dividend aristocrat stocks. They're doing dividend stock investing. And still others are doing short squeezes following a discussion on subreddits. I invite you guys today on this episode to consider what game is your stockbroker or your investment advisor playing on that field? Are they on your team or are they playing the same game that you're playing? My guess is not likely since they're incentivized to keep you fully invested in that stock market so they can earn a fee on your assets under their management. Remember, it's your assets under their management. That's the business model the investment advisors work under. Assets under management fees are your assets under their management. Your broker might say, hey, hey, buddy, you've got to risk money to make money. But I disagree. That's not true. You have to risk money so your investment advisor can make money. So that's my first question I'd like you to consider. Another question I'd like you to consider is, is the government playing the same game on the field of Wall Street? No, no, the government does not invest in the Wall Street casino. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Wall Street does not have government as a customer. They can't do that. Through our, the only way they can invest in Wall Street is through our 401ks and IRAs. Think about that for a minute. You are paying a fee for your money to be invested in Wall Street. And your fee in your 401k is built around 100% of your 401k balance. And yet, you're going to give 30 to 40% of your 401k money to the government when it's time for you to retire. So how much did the government spend to invest and whose money did they use and whose money was at risk now that is one generous 401k participant right you are playing a different game than the government when it comes to the wall street casino so we are all playing different games but we're all on the same field and is it it's also from that impossible to make sense of the signals that you might be seeing on that field. You know, what signals am I talking about? Let's go back to that sports analogy for one more minute. When you see your baseball coach give you the signal to steal a base, you know, maybe he grabs his earlobe or dusts off his shoulder or whatever, you know you've got a good chance at making it from first to second without being tagged out. And when you're playing basketball and your team members pass you the ball and give you an open, protected lane to the basket, you know what you need to do. You know the action based on the signal. You know it's time to drive hard for that layup. However, if you misinterpret signals because others are playing a different game, it can be devastating. Now, let's go back to playing soccer for a minute. You know, if you're playing soccer, a signal might be a wide open part of the field. You might interpret that as an invitation to take the soccer ball and charge toward the goal. And that would make great sense if everyone's playing soccer. But let's say that that field is only open because it's been set up for skeet shooting and you run right in between a lineup of shotgun-wielding participants with their clay pigeons. Things are not going to end well for you simply because you misread the signal. 
Now, this might sound like heresy for those who are huge sports fans, but at the end of the day, if your sports team loses, you still get to walk away. You might be, your ego might be bloodied or bruised, but life will go on. Now, reacting to signals you see in the wrong way can be embarrassing on a sports level, but it won't ruin your life. However, Wall Street players also send signals. Signals are like stock prices or the volatility of that stock or the volume of sales of such and such stock. You know, you might subscribe to financial newsletters who are mostly bears or mostly bulls. And in one week, I actually read this recently. I read that the stock market uh, should go to a Dow of 50,000. And another newsletter I read in the same week said Dow of 12,000 was more likely. Now, all these market experts are reading the same data, but they're giving us different signals. And it can be really tricky to know how to interpret those signals, especially when people are playing different games. When we th think we see uh, a person buying a hypothetical such and such stock, we imagine that what they're thinking, we believe that they're making a signal. We believe they're signaling that they see the company's fundamentals are sound and the business model is profitable and the chances for healthy, solid dividends will st stretch far into the future. At least that's what we think the buyer of such and such stock is signaling. But what if the buyer is simply buying into the stock to avenge what happened to them in 2008 and their aim is to short squeeze out hedge fund managers who they perceive to be bad guys? The signal might be misinterpreted by you and me. While we see buying such and such stock as a signal to participate in the profitable company and expect that stock to go up, in reality, others might be buying the same stock because they see an unprofitable company and hope the price is going to go down. It's the same action, but a totally different game. Let's do one more of these. Back to our hypothetical such and such stock. You know, I don't know if you know such and such, but I'm, I'm sure it's a great company, right? Uh, of course, it's a just a hypothetical name. So you're watching the stock of such and such go up, and you imagine all these other people, these mom and pop investors are getting rich on their smart decision to buy such and such stock. You see that signal to buy coming from the stock analysts on your stock trading app. Seems like a pretty clear signal, right? You're getting that signal to buy, correct? But what if that person buying the stock is not a person at all? What if it's just an algorithm following, following the pre-written software code to track a major stock market index? This is huge. When I found this out, it was unbelievable that this, that this happens and this can affect your portfolio. Now, guys, index funds don't buy stock in companies because they believe in the fundamentals of that company. That's not what index funds are there for. Index funds buy company stock simply because they have to track an index, meaning they have to exactly mirror the stocks of that index. So if you run an index fund, let's imagine you were the uh, manager of an index fund and you were tracking the Dow Jones. That means even if you don't like a company or even if you think that company might fail, as a rule, your index fund must buy a significant number of shares of that company stock just to be called an index fund, tracking the Dow. For example, when Tesla joined the S&P 500 earlier this year, you know, it was announced a few weeks before it, before it happened. And that gave the index funds time to get cash ready to buy a ton of Tesla stock. 
so that they could continue to accurately be called S&P 500 index funds. Now, guys, think about that for a minute. Guess what happens when all these index funds purchase uh, Tesla stock at the same time? You guessed it. The stock is going to go into the stratosphere. Now, if you're a keen stock trader and you're watching for these signals like Tesla being added to the S&P 500, as soon as you got that news that Tesla was joining S&P, you know, a smart, savvy investor might buy some stock before all the index funds are forced to buy it. That would be a major signal for you because you'd know you'd have a ton of buyers. Oops, I mean algorithms that would be anxiously ready to buy that stock from you. So if you can buy a stock before it enters the S&P 500, you might make a ton of money just by getting in front of those in line to beat those index funds to market. Again, none of these strategies, none of these games have anything to do with fundamentals. All we see is the stock price going up, the signal. What we don't know is if people are buying uh, those stock are good guys or bad guys, or whether they're playing the same game or a totally different game that might cause you significant financial pain. So the big so what? So come back to me here on this. How do you win a game like this? If you're multitasking, now's the chance to come back. If, if, you're, if you're looking at this game on Wall Street and you're sick and tired of playing the wrong game or getting beaten and bruised, remember, First of all, I cannot give any advice, especially not on a podcast regarding your investments. I say it at the end of every single episode, but I'm saying it again now. But here's the secret. The only way you can win the Wall Street game is to make unrealized gains realized. You have to make them realized gains. Now, how do you make an unrealized gain a realized gain? You have to protect your money. You never know what kind of black swan event for or, or market condition is going to make a major change in your overall financial picture. So when do you want to make sure your money is not affected by market volatility? When do you want to start having that guaranteed protection from market downturns? You have to realize that the market has been doing really well for the last 11 years, and the market falls about every five years by an average of about 39% and falls for about a year and a half and then takes 5.2 years just to get back where you were. So I have three questions for everybody listening. First question, what type of investor are you? Do you like to buy low and sell high or buy high and sell low? <laughs> Pretty obvious question, right? But I want you to say it. I want you to think about that. Do you like to buy low and sell high or buy high and sell low? Second question, do you have an automatic deduction of your paycheck into a 401k? Or do you do dollar cost averaging, let's say, into a brokerage account, into the stock market? That's my second question, automatic contributions to the market. And the third and most important question, do you believe the market is high or low currently? Now, as of this recording, the Dow is just at the precipice of 30,000 points. That is an all-time high. Now, guys, if you said yes to all three of my questions, and go back to listen to them again if you'd like, um, so I'll wait here for you. Okay, if you said yes to all three questions, I have one more question for you. Why are you regularly buying at the top 
of the market and consistently overpaying for stocks. That's like playing the same chess piece over and over and over and over and over again. It's pretty obvious your opponent will eventually figure you out and you're going to get crushed. Now, one bad year can wreak havoc on an investment and the return needed to break even on that investment would be significant and take time to recoup. So the trouble is when you lose money in the market, your percentage loss is always less than the money it would take just to break even. So here's a few examples. When you lose 10%, let's say in a stock or your market portfolio, the man on the street, just your average Joe would say, you know, hey, I'm going to need, if I lost 10%, yeah, I'm going to need 10% just to break even. But that's unfortunately not true. In order to break even after losing 10%, you'd need an 11.1% return just to break even with the 10% you lost. And if you lost 25% of the market, you'd have to scratch together 33 and a third percent gains just to break even. And lastly, if you lost 50% in the market like we did in 2008, you'd need a 100% gain just to get back to even. Now, we'll show an image of this in our show notes, but it's dramatic. It's dramatic. The, the bad years hurt more than the good years help. So if you're interested in the opportunity to grow your savings based on index without the risk of actually participating in the market, hold on. We've got some strategies we're going to be talking about here. But I would just say that a lot of people who I speak with over Zoom or over the phone are telling me, Mark, the stock market is like an emotional brat. One day it's happy. One day it's throwing a tantrum. Now, while you might have money in the market, and that's fine, when you have money in whole life insurance or fixed indexed annuities, you're able to put that brat of the market in a corner and say to them, hey, you can't do that to my money anymore. Fixed indexed annuities, whole life insurance, both offer guarantees and security that you'll never have a negative return, even if the market does. Now, I don't want anyone listening here today to think that I'm just telling you to, to sell all your investments and go all in on whole life insurance or fixed index annuities. It's not a be all, end all, be all investment strategy. You know, I'm, I'm saying this one more time, whole life insurance, fixed index annuities are not investments at all. They're really not. They're savings strategies. Uh, they're insurance contracts. Now, I do believe that there are plenty of options inside the world of equities that would provide higher returns, in a nominal sense anyway, than whole life insurance. I mean, stocks still have a place in your portfolio. That said, I would suggest offer the idea that whole life insurance is an excellent complement to your portfolio in a lot of circumstances. Now, when we design maximized, efficient whole life insurance strategies, it can produce some solid returns, guarantees, enhance and further the returns when you add in dividends onto the bank on your self-designed whole life policies. And to my knowledge, there's no other financial vehicle out there with more stability. Now, that last point of stability is hard to appreciate when you're young and you lack experience and you've never gone through a turbulent time with lots of money on the line in the stock market, but it's one of the most commonly mentioned benefits our clients have when, they, when they've reached a few extra birthday candles on the cake and they're talking about their whole life policy. They talk about the appreciation they have for the stability of the whole life insurance in their portfolio. So guys, 
Here's what it takes to win the game of money. The first thing to do is to know what game you're playing. That's so huge to know what game you're playing with money. The second step to winning the game of money is to realize that you do not have to play on a field full of people sending you the wrong signals. It is a great big world out there. And if you don't like the game that's being played, take your ball and go home. Who says you've got to win on that raucous sports arena in the first place? Where is it written that you have to put all your money on the Wall Street playing field and hope and pray you win a few goals amidst all that madness when everyone's playing different games? When your money is not tied to the game of Wall Street, you will not get wrapped up in short squeezes or hedge funds or dividend aristocrats trampling over you. You won't be watching late night infomercials on how you can buy this hot stock all the cool kids are buying or that hot stock. Your game with money will have a guaranteed outcome, the guaranteed cash accumulation of whole life insurance, the guaranteed accumulation value of a fixed annuity. You'll know before you even start playing what the outcome will be. Imagine that. Imagine if you knew the future of the Super Bowl, the future of the World Series. Imagine the kind of life you could live if you knew the outcome before you even started. That's the strategies we offer through our firm. So guys, give us a shout if you'd like to chat. You can go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com and click on request a meeting and we can find out what your outcome would be before you even begin. So thank you, everybody. That's it for today's episode. Hope you liked it. It's been something on my mind lately quite a bit as we've seen these headlines. So thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.